Brother Rick, Miss Nancy, I'll invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1 this morning. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1. I can remember which ribbon I used to mark it with. It's one of the, that, that's one, the one right there. All right. You want to keep your thumb there. We'll look at a couple other passages of Scripture as we go through uh, the message this morning, but um, we're going to be talking as a whole about the topic of influence. Uh, I was um, reading a, a book recently that asked the question, or it said that one of the most important questions that we can ask ourselves or that we can ask others is, who has most influenced your life? And uh, you know, so that's probably a pretty good question. Probably uh, tell a lot about ourselves by the way we answer that question. Uh, for a lot of folks, you might say it's your parents, grandparents, an aunt, an uncle, uh, maybe another family member. Of course, influence can be good. Influence can be bad, all right? We're not talking about either particular direction, but who's influenced your life? And something I found interesting as I read this book, it talked about a uh, study that was conducted by researchers at Harvard and Columbia. Now, that must give us a little more esteem. They're from Harvard and Columbia, after all. And I don't know, I didn't look up this study to find out exactly how they figured all of this out. I'm just going to tell you that it came from Harvard and Columbia. Smart people, people that are smarter than me. And they looked at the economic impact of the influence of teachers. Now, we got some teachers in the room this morning. This may be something you find interesting. The uh, Harvard and Columbia researchers looked specifically at a group of fourth grade students from different classrooms. They followed them, apparently, for a very long time. And they classified them as those students who had a great fourth-grade teacher and those who had a mediocre fourth-grade teacher. Again, I don't know how they came up with those classifications, all right? So good fourth-grade teacher, a mediocre fourth-grade teacher. As you would probably accurately guess, those students who had a good fourth-grade teacher outperformed in the fourth grade those students who had a mediocre teacher. But then for the rest of their schooling, through high school and through college, those students, because of the influence of their fourth grade teacher, continued to outperform their peers, the ones who just had mediocre fourth grade teachers. And as a matter of fact, the researchers went on to say that it was projected that these students who were influenced by a good teacher, would earn on average about $50,000 more over the course of their lifetime than the students who had a mediocre teacher. The impact of a teacher is big. But really the impact that we can all have on the lives of others is big. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look in on 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm thankful for those teachers who are willing to make an impact on our students. But I hope we'll all live our lives each and every day knowing that we make an impact on others and others make an impact on us. That's what we're going to look at uh, for the rest of our time together this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at that power of influence, whether you realize it or not, every single day. Every single day, you impact somebody else. And every single day, somebody else impacts you, whether you realize it or not. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the entire chapter for context, but we're going to focus in on really two verses mainly, and really, when it gets down to it, two words. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, Paul, Silvanius, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believed. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the the truths that we find here. I thank you for the applications that we can find here, that we can draw from these things that Paul wrote to these believers uh, so many years ago. And we can take these things, we can apply them to our lives. I pray that we will. I pray that you'd be with us in this time. I pray that the words that are spoken from this pulpit will be your words, not mine. I pray that you'd continue to allow your spirit to flow through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul starts out the letter here talking to the Thessalonians. He praises them. You see what he says there uh, in verse 2? He says, we give thanks to God always for you, always making mention in our prayers. He says, we remember your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. This is a busy church. This is a good church. This is a church that's to be praised. I think if Paul were writing uh, to Brister Baptist Church today, he'd have much of the same things to say about you. Because as I look around, and I'm, I mean, I know Brother Eric would echo me here, we're thankful for the way you work so hard. We're thankful uh, for your faith and the love you show towards each other. This is a good church that Paul is writing to. And he gets down here in verse 6, one of the, the first of the two words I want us to look at this morning. Because he tells them they've been working hard, they've had this labor of love, But in verse 6, he says something else about them. He says, you became followers. Followers. That's the first word I want us to look at this morning. He says, you became followers, in verse 6, of us and the Lord. It was the personal witness of Paul and the personal witness of his co-workers, of of, uh, Sylvania, Silas, and, and Timothy, who were there, it was their personal witness that resulted in the conversion of the Thessalonian believers, and, and they brought them to faith in Christ, and then in turn, 
uh, they were following the example of Paul and Timothy and Silas as they continued to share the gospel with others. But I think we need to get some more of the backstories. Hold your place here and go back to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. I got a little ahead of myself. I told you a little bit of stuff I meant to tell you in a minute. We're going to get back on track in Acts 17. Hold your place. We're going back to 1 Thessalonians. This is the story of Paul at Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, see I get to say all these fun words, and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Listen to this. And some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. Paul went into Thessalonica, and as his habit was, he went into the Jewish synagogue. And it says, it told us there, for three weeks he went in, he preached about Jesus. For three weeks he went in and he preached about Jesus, and it says a great multitude became believers. A great multitude responded to the call of the gospel, and they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 5 says there in Acts 17, but the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So here's what's happening. Paul goes into Thessalonica. He preaches. A great multitude turns to Jesus and the devout Jews don't like it. The devout Jews, they don't want everybody to follow Jesus. They want everybody else to be a devout Jew. And here's Paul coming into their synagogue where they're trying to get people to become more devout Jews, and he's turning people away from Judaism and towards Jesus. They get so mad they run Paul out of town. If we continue to read, if we were to continue to read the story there, they run Paul out of town. So then, we, that's what we come to in 1 Thessalonians. That's the situation we find here in 1 Thessalonians. Paul's been run out of town. Now, he says they're followers. That doesn't mean they followed him when he left town. Because if we were to continue to read in 1 Thessalonians over in chapter 3, we find out that Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to check on him. Timothy brings the report back to Paul, and as a report of hearing, as a result of hearing the report, I'll get all my words together in a minute, Paul writes this letter because he likes what he hears from Thessalonica. That's the context of what's happening. So if it doesn't mean, when Paul calls them followers, if it doesn't mean they physically followed him out of Thessalonica, what? does this word mean? If we were to read this in the original Greek language, we would see that the word that is used here in verse 6 that is translated in the New King James Version to be followers, 
we would see that is a Greek word, mimetai. I had to stop and say it in my head first. Mimetai, that's the word. And that word is the word from which we get our English word, mimic. Paul says, you became mimickers. Put another way, imitators. Your translation may say that they imitated. But what are they imitating? They're imitating Paul. They're imitating his co-workers. But they're not just imitating them. They're imitating the Lord himself. Here's what we we find is the same admonishment Paul gave to the Corinthian believers. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, verse 1, he said, he told the Corinthian believers, he said, you imitate me, same word, you mimic me as I mimic Jesus Christ. It's what he taught the Ephesian believers. If you were to look in Ephesians chapter 4, there at the end of chapter 4, To find a good starting place, we'll start in verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul tells the Ephesians, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Be imitators of God. And how does Paul tell the Ephesians we imitate God? By walking in love. To connect it to the Sunday school lesson in the fellowship hall this morning by showing mercy to others. That's how we imitate God. This was no easy task for the Thessalonians. This is where we start to kind of see, draw some similarities maybe between our culture and what we experience in them. But let me tell you, in no way can we say our culture was like theirs. We may have it hard somewhat some days. Theirs was even harder. It was harder to imitate Jesus in that culture than it is today. We live in a Christian community. We do. You might say there's a church on every corner. That's what some people say. Unfortunately, some of those are closed or or will probably close in the near future, it seems like. There's a church on every corner. Some people would say about different areas like where we live, they'd say it's the buckle of the Bible belt. You know, I was uh, talking with someone not long ago about how, the uh, how you know, our in our schools, thankfully, uh, we were talking specifically about a Magnolia High School choir concert. They were singing religious songs. And how wonderful that is, that here in our little bubble of the world, the public schools are not afraid of what uh, the public schools are afraid of in some other parts. There's political uh, compliance, as Brother Eric would phrase it. They didn't live in a Christian community in Thessalonica. Matter of fact, you know, some scholars would tell you that Paul's writing this letter about four to six months after he'd been run out of town. Four to six months after he's been run out of town. Remember, he was only there about three weeks. Remember, when he showed up, there wasn't any Christians in Thessalonica. There was not an established church. It's not like Paul was the evangelist that showed up at the church that was just kind of slouching around, kind of been lazy in their Christianity, and he came in and preached some great revival and got them fired up. 
That's not what happened. Paul goes to Thessalonica where there are no Christians, where it's an extremely secular society, where they're worshiping idols. We saw there uh, down in our text, it says they turned to God from idols. Four to six months before this, there were zero Christians in Thessalonica. Zilch, none. Nada. And he says, you've gone from what you were to faithfully following Jesus. Look at the rest of verse 6. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. They received the word with much affliction. Let me tell you, it wasn't a popular thing to follow Jesus in this society they lived in. The, thing, the fact of human nature is this. People tend to follow whatever groups are popular in their area, okay? Case in point, let me give you an example. There are a few outliers to this. This is not a general rule. There are exceptions to this rule, but you think about sports teams. Most sports teams' fan bases are regional in nature, okay? I'm not an NFL fan at all, but you go out to the Dallas area, most of them are probably Cowboy fans. They have a few Giants fans mixed in somewhere, but uh, a few outliers even wear the shirt to church today. Look at that. And so, uh, you know, but most sports fans are kind of regional, you follow what's popular in that area. Around here, a popular thing is Christianity. Well, just put it out there what it is. It's popular in this area to be a Christian. I'll tell you, in the 11 years or so that I've been affiliated with Brister Baptist Church, I have met people on the streets, and I've said, where do you go to church? They have told me they go to Brister Baptist Church, and I have never seen their face in this building. Because, it, you know, I mean, it's popular to be able to tell somebody around here that you go to church. I don't know if they just thought of the first church they could think of. It happened the same thing when uh, before I came here and I was a member at First Baptist Magnolia. And I would frequently ask people, and I, you know, where do you go to church? And I've told this before, so it's been a long time. I say, where do you go to church? Oh, I go to First Baptist. I said, oh, so do I. I've never seen you there. They say, well, I sit in the balcony. I said, well, I sit in the choir loft, and I can see the balcony. You know, I mean, that's kind of the way it works. But people like to identify with what's popular in their area. That's why it is so easy to say, I'm a Christian in South Arkansas, in North Louisiana, and then not have to live like it because nobody else is going to hold you to account because there's a lot of people around here that claim to be Christians and don't live like it, okay? In the Thessalonian society, if you claimed to be a Christian, you were putting yourself out on the line. So Paul says you became followers with much affliction. They were persecuted. Following Jesus wasn't an easy experience. And it wasn't just that these people... Uh, now, they might not have been taken out and stoned for being Christians. They might not have been killed for being Christians, but persecution goes further than that. Now, unfortunately, starting to see more and more of this in our modern-day Western society. I was uh, heard a story, a news story, just in the last week or two about 
Uh, this happened in Australia, but Australia is a modern-day Western society where uh, a major CEO of a sports franchise was fired because they found out he was chairman of the board of a church, and that church was against homosexuality. So he had to decide, was he going to stand with his church or was he going to stand with everybody else? And he chose his church, and they fired him. I hope it doesn't come to that in the United States, but I don't know. The world seems to be going uh, that way pretty fast. But it's not just that they were persecuted in those types of ways in Thessalonica. But some of the persecution could have come, most likely did come, from self-alienation. Because as Christians, they decided to alienate from some of the things of the world. Because there are just some places Christians ought not go. There are just some organizations that Christians shouldn't be a member of, even if they are widely acceptable and if their practices are acceptable in the world. There are just some, to take a modern-day example, there are just some TV shows Christians ought not watch. There are just some words Christians ought not say. Those are the types of things the Thessalonians were most likely doing, self-alienating from the world, which brings about isolation, which brings about uh, a certain amount of persecution. And you might say, Brother Jeremy, by standing up here and saying there's places Christians ought not go, I'll tell you, a Christian has no place sitting at the bar. A Christian has no place in a lot of places. And you say, isn't that being legalistic? No, it's being biblical. Because Paul says you're followers of Jesus. So if Jesus wouldn't go there, you can't follow him there. If you're somewhere Jesus wouldn't go, if you're a member of an organization Jesus wouldn't be a member of, if you're doing things Jesus wouldn't do, you're not following Jesus. You're following the world. And that's for all of us. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 6, Verse 6, that they received the word in affliction, but that word is temporary affliction because it led to joy. It echoes what Paul told the Romans in Romans 8, verse 18. He said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 8, he said, One day those of us who are saved will see Jesus. And it will be joy unspeakable and full of glory. We endure some hardships for a little while. We can't begin to fathom the hardships that these people faced. Ours is nothing compared. Our hardships, our persecutions we may endure would be nothing compared to what they faced. Are we willing to be a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit unpopular, be a follower of Jesus. The Thessalonians were. And Paul said by following Christ, not only did they find joy in the suffering, but they became a dedicated example. Did you see that in verse 7? Well, let's read verse 6 and 7 so we read the whole sentence. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, who believe. If I was to tell you that of these two words we're looking at, followers and examples, 
If I was to tell you one of them was more important than the other, it'd be kind of hard. I think we need to focus on this one. I think if we focus on this one, it'll cause us to get the other one right. Examples. That's what he said. He said they're examples to other Christians. But there's something special about this word examples that we miss in the English. It comes from the Greek word typos, T-Y-P-O-S. Now, you might hear typo and you think mistake. That's not what we're talking about. The best way to explain it here is a typeset, okay? Now, some of you, some of us, are old enough to remember a typewriter. Teenagers in the room are saying, a what, you know? A typewriter. I never used a manual typewriter. I used an electric typewriter. Some of you used manual typewriters, all right? How does a typewriter work? You got the keyboard, you press on the key, which activates a lever to go up. On that lever is the impression of the letter, right? It hits the ribbon, strikes the paper, leaves the impression. That's an illustration of the word typos, this word examples that Paul uses. That's the gist of it. They would have understood it, though, in the context of a wax seal, the way an official government document became official. Or they would take the wax and they pour it on there. The government official had the ring. They would stick into the wax and leave the impression of the wax. The wax seal made things official. Paul's telling the Thessalonian Christians, you're leaving your mark. You're leaving the seal on other people. You're leaving your mark on people all over the region. John MacArthur says uh, of this verse, he says, the Thessalonian church became the blueprint, the very model that, that every other church in the region used to grow their church, to plant their church. And you say, well, what does that have to do with me, you know? Nobody's watching me. I'm not all that important. Well, for lack of a better term, I would just say that that line of thinking is hogwash. Okay? People are watching. I'll tell you something. Somebody is watching you. Somebody is watching your life, whether you realize it or not. And you say, well, I don't really get out much. People are watching your Facebook. People are watching how you interact with others or how you don't interact with others. And it is impacting others around you as you watch other people's lives, whether you realize it or not. The way you watch other people live impacts you. And the way you live impacts others. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, he told the disciples, he said, you will be my witnesses. And the implication there is that we need to be witnesses for Jesus because we're going to be witnesses for somebody. Our lives are going to witness to the world what we believe. And they'll either tell people that we believe in Jesus or that we follow the world. The Bible's very clear that Satan's in control of the world. So if that's the case, that we're witnessing for someone, if somebody's watching how we live our lives, and either consciously or subconsciously, they're imitating what we do. Let me ask you this. By watching your life, this is something we all need to ask ourselves. By watching my life, does that result in somebody following Jesus? What am I influencing somebody else to do? The result of the Thessalonians, if they were following Jesus, so close, 
all the other people who were mimicking their behavior were following Jesus too. Now let's bring this a little closer to home. Be a lot of kids in the building. I mean, there's some mamas and daddies in the building. There's some grandmas and some grandpas in the building. Can I just tell you, the young married people in the building, maybe one day you'll have kids. The young people in the building, maybe one day you'll have kids. If you have children, somebody's watching you. Somebody's watching you. If you have children, somebody is looking at you. That little boy who wants to be just like daddy. That little girl who wants to be just like mama. They want to grow up to be just like you. Will they grow up to follow Jesus? I didn't ask if they'll come to church. That was not my question. There's a lot of people that come to church that don't follow Jesus. That's just the truth of the matter. I'm not talking about it brisker. I'm talking about it church in general. There's a lot of people that are in churches every Sunday morning that don't follow Jesus. Sunday afternoon through 10 o'clock the next Sunday morning. I didn't ask if your kids would occupy a pew one day. I asked if they would follow Jesus. I didn't ask if they would bring their kids to church. I asked if your kids will follow Jesus as a result of mimicking your life. And you might say, well, I raised my kids the way I was raised. And I really wasn't raised to follow Jesus that closely. Well, I love this quote from Adrian Rogers. He says, you can't do anything about your ancestors, but you can sure do something about your descendants. You can sure do something about your descendants. Let me tell you, heaven help you if you lead your kids astray and they don't follow Jesus because they watched you not follow Jesus. You know, I could go off on a lot of tangents about a lot of different things. But I think one of the most acceptable things in our society that really isn't acceptable, well, the Bible flat out calls drunkenness a sin. You know it takes one drink to become an alcoholic. That's what the experts will tell you. And you say, I could handle my alcohol, but your kids are watching you drink. What if that one drink they take because they watched you drink turns them into an alcoholic and completely wrecks their lives? Your kids are watching you. They're going to grow up. They want to be just like you. What kind of example are you setting for them? Are you setting an example that leads them to follow Jesus? Are you setting an example that causes them to follow the world and as a result wreck their lives? Romans 14, 12 says, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. One day every single one of us will stand before Almighty God and we will give an account for the way we lived our life. And parents, I believe with all my heart, we will give an account for the way we raise our children. That ought to be enough to put a holy fear in us to raise our kids to follow Jesus. Let me tell you, if that doesn't put a holy fear in you, you might want to check your salvation status. If you're not scared of standing before God, you might want to check on that. We're going to give an account to God. That's what the Bible says.
Paul commended the Thessalonians for the way they followed Jesus. Paul commended them for the way they served others, for the example they set, how they left their mark on others. So this morning I ask you, what kind of mark is your life leaving on the people around you? What kind of mark is your life leaving on your coworkers, on your family? Mama and Daddy, what kind of life or what kind of mark is your life leaving on your children? I guess the more important question may be this. Who is your life imitating? Does your life imitate, imitate Jesus? If you're saved and your life isn't imitating Jesus, I hope we'll all take an opportunity to examine our lives this morning and to figure out if it is. And if it's not, that we'll confess to him that it hadn't been. We'll confess our sins. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we'll confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We will still deal with the, penalty, with the, with the consequences of our sin on earth. But the eternal consequences are gone. And I hope we'll commit today to live a life that imitates Jesus. I can't tell you what Paul stood up in that synagogue in Thessalonica and preached. I can't give you the exact words, but he stood there and he presented the gospel. And it says a great multitude came to follow Jesus. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for you. I pray that you would heed the words that Paul uh, wrote to the Romans when he said that if you'd confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You cannot imitate somebody you don't know. I pray today would be the day you come to know Jesus and that you'd commit from this day forward to imitate him in your lives. May that be the commitment for us all. That is the invitation as we stand and sing.